Thank you. Happy Friday, everybody. Woo! What a day, what a day. This has been a great semester. People ask me, like, what's it like to be the president of North Central University? Well, I'm the interim president, if that makes any difference. But nonetheless, uh, it is uh, a tremendous honor because of the people that I get to work with, all of our administration, all of our tremendous faculty, all of our staff, and most of all, you students are the best. Give yourselves a hand. We're proud of you. Love each and every one of you. And those of you that are preview day students with your families, welcome to North Central. This is a great place. And we do pray that the Lord will give you guidance and direction to where your next step is uh, post high school and getting into college and university. And we pray that it would be right here. And uh, we hope you have a great visit today. I want to read Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. I am personally, and Joshua together and I, we've kind of been working a little bit through the book of Philippians. Uh, a series that we've entitled uh, Joy in Jail, and uh, I just want to take the next step in uh, from the passage that I preached uh, a number of weeks ago at the beginning of the semester, and uh, to let you know, I'm going to tell you something very, very personal from my own life in just a moment, but let's look at this text. Philippians 1, 12 through 14 says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Father, as we pray, this is your word. It's alive. It's active. It's like a double-edged sword that can pierce into the very soul and spirit of our being to change us and to transform us. And this particular passage, God, can reset our perspective related to things that happen in our life that are not so fun, just as things happened in Paul's life that were not fun. But he saw something as an opportunity, even in a difficult situation. So help us to Help us to see the good things that can happen from the difficulties in our own lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I want to address this morning in this message the subject of what's happened to me. And I'm referring to those situations that happen in all of our lives that stink, that are like they're terrible, they're difficult. And people look at us and they see what's happened to us and they say, wow, I can't believe that happened to you. Sorry for you. Paul's what's happened to me, as we mentioned as we launched this series early in the semester, his what's happened to me was imprisonment. He's thrown into a Roman jail for preaching the gospel. In fact, he pens a letter while he's in prison to a local church that he planted uh, a, you know, a while back, and he's writing this letter to this group of believers in a church in a town called Philippi, and, and theologians tell us that this is Paul's most joy-filled letter in all of the New Testament, in light of the fact that he's writing it from prison. So this morning, as we look at this, and we look at the theme of this letter being joy in jail, the passage today tells me that there's joy in the downturn. There's joy in the downturn. Now I want all of you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me? Now, we all have a what's happened to me. 
We could all stand up and talk about all great things that have happened in our life, fortunate blessings and all that, a typical testimony service. But we also could stand up here and say, let me tell you what's happened to me. And we talk about all the difficult things and all the impossible things and all of the the things that went sideways all of a sudden in our lives, those unexpected downturns that kind of came out of nowhere. It wasn't by my choice at all, and it catches us off guard. And what happens when we're caught off guard with a downturn, we're we're, we're, we're susceptible to reactions, even inside of ourselves, inside of our, an attitude or perspective, and these, these internal reactions or these outbursts emotionally actually contribute even more to what the downturn is attempting to do, and that is to push us down and discourage us and, and tell us to quit and, and tell us that we can't make it and we can't move forward. But when Paul writes this, he says, I want you to know that what's happened to me He doesn't finish the sentence like I might want to finish the sentence. Like when I have a downturn, when I have something bad happen to me and it's like brutal, it's difficult, I want to tell everybody, hey, I want you to know what's happened to me has been really tough and it nearly killing me. And it it wasn't my fault. And I want you to feel sorry for me. And I don't know if I'm going to live through this situation. Like when I have a downturn, I want to say what's happened to me was totally inappropriate. It's unjust. It's unfair. And I'm going to fight it for all I'm worth. But Paul doesn't come across that way. Paul writes, I want you to know that what's happened to me, and he's referring to his imprisonment, he wants everybody to know that is actually serving to advance the gospel. The message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson writes it this way. He says, you got to know, friends, my imprisonment has actually had the opposite intended effect. Instead of squelching or silencing the gospel, the message of Jesus is prospering. God is with you when you're in a jail, which means God is with you when you are experiencing a downturn, an unexpected difficulty in your life. What have been the downturns? that you've experienced thus far as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old, how whatever age you are, what have been some of those unexpected downturns that stink, that just, like, that's not fair. And maybe for some of you, it was the news of your mom and dad's divorce. Maybe it was the news of your little sister's terminal disease of cancer. It can be any number of things, but all of us have some kind of experience of a downturn in your life personally, in your family, maybe an economic downturn. Not only did dad lose his job one time, but my mom lost her job as well. We went on food stamps, and we didn't know how we were going to make it. Life is surprising in so many ways, and when it's discouraging and, and devastating, we call that a downturn. I want to tell you about the most dramatic downturn that has ever happened in my life. In 2002, I experienced a what's happened to me, a sudden downturn in my life personally. The details of what happened are not as critically as important, but the culmination of things that happened in my life in that year put me in a kind of prison. It involved death and it involved divorce. My father-in-law at the age of 62 passed away of cancer. He passed away way too soon. And I didn't know that it 
devastated me as much as when I went and uh, we as a family went home to the funeral and I stood up in the funeral setting and I gave a tribute to my father-in-law and I couldn't get it out because that man impacted my life deeply. It was a loss. It hit me in a sudden kind of way that I wasn't aware of. We had to travel back to Montana to go to the funeral for my wife's father and while we were back home, uh, and many of you know I grew up in the same hometown as my wife and so my mom and dad were also at the funeral and it was at the funeral that my dad indicated to me that he and my mother were not doing so well in the marriage and it resulted in my mom and dad divorcing after 42 years. Those two losses spun my world like a tilt-a-whirl. Suddenly, like out of the blue, I was struggling. It locked me into a prison of suppressed anger because I'm a pastor, and pastors don't get angry. Pastors always have to be nice. And I was believing that lie, and I was suppressing my anger, and that suppressed anger turned into a real significant level of anxiety that fell into a deep spiral into depression. I remember one day I came home from work early, and my wife wasn't home. So I sat down in our living room, and I sat looking out the living room window just staring at nothing and I started to cry the release of all my pent-up anger and my pent-up emotion was finding a release through my eyes and my wife came home and she saw me there and she said what's the matter and it dawned on me how scared I was because I said I don't know I don't know what's happening to me. Fortunately, my wife knew exactly what was happening to me. She had recently begun a certification in counseling and she was studying depression. And in her studies, she was being made aware of all the warning signs of people that are in depression. And she saw it all over me. She said, you're depressed. I know exactly what's going on. First thing we did is made an appointment with my medical doctor and He checked me out and asked all the right questions and diagnosed me as having clinical depression. And I said, doctor, if I'm clinically depressed, I want medication. I want to feel better. I want to feel better. And he said, yes, there's medication for that. And I'll give you medication. I'll give you a prescription for medication, but you have to get counseling. Because the medication is like a Band-Aid. It's like a Novocaine. It kind of can numb the pain. But there are things that are in your life and in your background and in your upbringing that you need to work through with a counselor. And that began a a two-and-a-half relationship with a Christian psychologist that I saw every week. I traveled from our town in Wisconsin to the cities here weekly to see that individual. And that was a a two-and-a-half-year journey. And it was painful. It was difficult. It was hard. I was a pastor. I was a husband. I was a father of four children who were now teenagers, and now they've got a, hus- they got a dad who's broken emotionally. Fortunately, I was allowed to have a three-month sabbatical. 
And I was able to inform our board, and they were very, very kind and gave me the time and the space. And so the, the culmination of some good medicine and some good counseling and some time and space was what God gave me to be able to heal. But it was a significant downturn that came out of nowhere. But I want you to know that what happened to me that what happened to me, what I had to deal with in 2002, actually served to, quote-unquote, advance the gospel. In other words, advance me as a, as a better dad, as a better husband, as a better pastor. I remember when I went back to the pulpit for the very first time, I was bound to determine that I wasn't going to hide this. This wasn't going to be anything that I was going to be ashamed of, that I saw a counselor, that I was taking medication. I just was not going to be ashamed of any of that, that I was going to let my congregation know that I'm broken just like many of you are. And you know what? I didn't lose the respect of any of the people in our church. In fact, what happened is our church began to realize that their pastor was imperfect just like they were. See, when we're hurting or when we're striving to live the perfect life, we don't really impact other people that deeply because nobody's impressed with a perfect person. Nobody's transformed by a perfect person. The perfect person only kind of creates this sense of envy or jealousy in people. And so to be able to say that what I went through was a significant downturn, it could have ruined my life, and oh, woe is me. Actually, it served to advance effective ministry and effective parenting and being a better husband. It made me a better person as a result of what I went through. Downturns that you've experienced that have, that have attempted to push you down and maybe put you flat on your back, today you need to realize that what's happened to you can actually serve to advance the gospel or advance your life, advance your effectiveness, advance your ability to be a better human being on this planet. But you have to choose to let the downturn turn your focus to how God can use it for His glory and how He can use it to help other people. You see, how you handle your downturn is going to be noticed by other people who will have the privilege of seeing you handle it with grace and with godliness, and they'll be encouraged by that. What does the text say? I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. The result has become clear that throughout the whole palace guard, everyone knows that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, all these other Christians are becoming confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel. Downturns are difficult. You might be in a downturn right now, and it is difficult. But I'm here to tell you that the, this passage of Scripture gives us three keys on how we work through our downturn. Number one, to work through our downturn, we need to choose to live a life of reflection. Live to reflect. Live your life to reflect something to other people. This is what Paul did. He knew that his life was, was being watched. He lived to reflect himself to other people. It wasn't like, why, well, look at me. Look how cool I am, how spiritual I am. No, Paul was always saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And young men and women, th this is leadership. This is leadership. This is the life of leadership, knowing that a lot of eyes are on you and watching you. You have minimal privacy when you are in a place of influencing other people. And some people don't like that. They want their privacy. I'm here to tell you that if God's going to use you, you have to choose to reflect your life to other people. Paul said this, I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore for myself but I'm living for Christ. The life I live in this body, I'm not living for myself. I'm living it for Jesus. 
Paul's mission from the first day of his salvation conversion in Acts 9 to the final breath that he breathes, and, and, we, and we're told that he, he died a martyr's death. His commitment was to live in such a way that when people would look at him, they wouldn't really see him, but they would see Jesus. And when that is your mentality in life, it doesn't matter what life throws at you. In fact, the harder the downturn, the more difficult the downturn, the more Jesus has an opportunity to shine through you. No one's impressed with a perfect Christian testimony in the life of another person. But people are impressed when a person's testimony includes a downturn and a commitment that I'm going to make it through with the help of God and to the glory of God. People say, I, I want to live that kind of Christian life. That Christian life will make an impact. But here's the key. We have to decide long before the downturn. God, no matter what happens, I'm going to live for you. No matter what happens, I'm going to live for you. For Paul, it didn't matter what he was facing. His perspective was rock solid. I think he'd say, you want to threaten me? No problem. I have no fear because my life is in the hands of God. You want to kill me? Thank you. Please do. Because to be absent from the Lord is to be present with, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You want to throw me in jail? Well, praise God, because I will have a captive audience, those guards, every day and all day. So get your focus off the downturn. Focus on the reflection of Jesus. Number two, live to inspire. Live to inspire. What does it say in verse 14? Because of these chains, most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord are confident in the Lord. When you experience a downturn and you don't let that downturn affect your attitude or your identity, your example will be seen by other people. Listen, not everybody is as strong in the Lord as you are. It might be your roommate, your sweet mate, and people are already watching you, and they're encouraged by you. Some of you as, as prospective students, you're a high school junior or senior, you're loving Jesus with all your heart, you're doing your best to live for God in your youth group or in your, in your school. People are watching you, your friends are watching you. They're encouraged by you. They're, they're taking their cues from what you do and what you don't do for the Lord. We're all an influence, it's a wonderful thing. You see, not everyone is as strong as you in the Lord and they're looking to you to be an encouragement and that's what's happening in Paul's life. So, as you think about what you're struggling with and what's hard in your life and what's difficult for you, you say, Lord, it's a downturn, but I'm committed. I'm committed to living my life for you, and I'm not going to give up. And I know that in my not giving up, I'm encouraging others to not give up as well. And that takes us to the third point in this text. We live to reflect, we live to inspire, and we take it a little deeper. We live to embolden. Second part of verse 14 says, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It's not just inspiration that people experience when they see you handle your downturn with confidence, they are infused with courage. Dare all the more. Dare all the more. There, That Greek word means exceedingly, superabundantly more. What Paul is saying here is that believers have been more bold in their faith by the way in which I've handled my downturn in a superabundant, more courageous way than anything that they've ever seen in my life. Sometimes people are most encouraged in their faith when they see you in your downturn than in your heights of joy and glory. And that's the kind of Christian I want to be. I want to be that kind of Christian for my wife. I want to be that kind of Christian for my kids. 
I want to be that kind of Christian for nine grandchildren. The 10th is coming next week. And as soon as I, the first song in chapel, I got a text from another one of my kids, and she's pregnant. So I got 11 grandchildren. And listen, our life matters to the lives of other people around us. As you reflect Jesus, as you inspire others by your way in handling your downturns, as you, as you say, Lord, I want to be that kind of Christian that doesn't sour people on the gospel but gives people hope that they can make it. If I can make it, they can make it and inspire that kind of challenge. That, my friends, is our calling. And folk, that's your future, students. That's your future. Your future is to make an impact even through the downturns that you have to go through in life. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes. It's Friday chapel and we're moving towards the altar. And we know that following chapel, for those of you that are prospective students, there's probably a luncheon for you, but I intentionally wanted to end this chapel message before 1140 so that every single one of you could find a place at the altar because I know many of you are going through a downturn. In fact, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, who is here this morning and you're hearing this message and you're saying, Dr. Graham, I'm going through a downturn. Something is happening in my life. I didn't expect it. I'm having to deal with it. I don't know how I'm going to get through it. It's a downturn. Lift your hand. Just lift your hand in the air. Yeah, several, 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 several. And you're not raising it to me. You're raising it to Jesus. Jesus, I'm going through a downturn. I'm in a downturn. I'm going through a downturn. I don't know how it's going to advance the gospel. I don't know how this is going to work out for good, Romans 8, 28, that Paul wrote. I don't know, but I'm in the downturn. And I need you to help me because I want to reflect Jesus. I want my example to inspire others. I want my example to give others courage when they go through their downturn. I want everybody to stand to their feet. And if you raised your hand, I want you to come down to the altar. Faculty and staff, would you come as well and just line up here? We have at least five minutes before it's 1140. And would you come to the altar? And if you need prayer from any of our faculty and staff, you raised your hand, would you come and let uh, one of our faculty staff just pray for you, encourage you? Or maybe you want to come and just kneel at the altar. Let's take at least five minutes. And those of you that can extend beyond 1140, as we always do for another 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and we seek the Lord. He's with us. He's with us. He's with us. Listen, when we go through the downturns, it's from those times where we dedicated ourselves to praying and saying, God, maybe I'm not going through a downturn, but I'm going to pray because a downturn is going to happen at some point and I'm preparing for it. So I'm going to come and I'm going to pray and I'm going to seek the Lord. So if you need prayer and you want to fill this altar, let's do that right now for the next four minutes at least. And then for those of you that can extend, let's stay and let's seek God together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of the downturn. You are the God in the middle of our jail. You are the God who helps us. You are the one God who has come to help us and strengthen us. And we praise you for that. We praise you for that, Lord. We call on you. We thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Encourage us. Where there seems to be no way, God, you're the way maker. You are the way maker. You are the way maker. And we thank you, God. Hallelujah. We might not see the end of the tunnel, but God, you're leading us and you're guiding us and you're with us. I pray for students, Lord, 
They've got a downturn in their life. It might be about their grades. They don't know how and what to do with a, 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 a class that maybe they're not passing. They're, not, they're failing. They're struggling in the assignments. It's a downturn. I pray that you encourage them. Students have a financial downturn, Lord. Not sure how to pay the bill. Lord, it's a downturn. We pr- I pray for them in the name of Jesus. We trust you. We trust you. We put our hope in you. We declare, God, that you are here and you are with us, oh God. Hallelujah. 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 For the next three minutes or so, for those of you that are standing and praying, could I invite you to come into the altar area and just sit or kneel? Just let, let's, let's assume that at the altar, God does special things. He does special things where you're standing, of course. But maybe express your faith just a little bit more. Step from where you're at. And just for the next couple of minutes, and if you can extend beyond 11.40, let's just sit in the presence of God at the altar, believing that he's pouring into us what will enable us to get through the downturn. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.